<laughs> the story begins. All right. So <clears throat> we're up to continuing chapter 27, page 311 in our books. Okay. So a person's getting intrusive thoughts. And what happens when we get intrusive thoughts, we feel ashamed of ourselves. Because I'm facilitating thoughts, or even if I'm not facilitating them, even if I'm not, I'm not facilitating them, I'm rejecting them. But I'm getting these thoughts. The pop-ups are coming up. There's something wrong with my computer. And I feel ashamed. I feel shameful of myself. So the al has said, number one, you should feel joyous because you have an opportunity to reject them. Number two, feeling shame is a um, is really just arrogance, which we'll talk more about soon. Feeling shame is arrogance. Is arrogance. I feel that the, why am I feeling shame ashamed because I'm getting these thoughts? Because a tzaddik won't get these thoughts. No. A tzaddik has totally internalized the, the divine soul, the godly soul. Doesn't have these impulsive thoughts, intrusive thoughts, or inappropriate thoughts. So it doesn't have that shame. And if I'm expecting that I shouldn't be getting these thoughts, I'm expecting that I should be a tzaddik. It's beneath my dignity to, to get these thoughts. <coughs> the al said, no, we have to reprioritize, evaluate our, ex our self-expectations. Our expectation is to strive to become a Bainini, to have behavioral perfection, not to have emotional, internal perfection. We're never going to be internally perfect. We can be behaviorally perfect. Um, self-acceptance. This is really the idea of self-acceptance, which they talk about it a lot in yoga, apparently. I don't know, I, there was a yoga class at Chabad. I walked by, I kept hearing self-acceptance, self-acceptance. So it got me thinking. What, what I accept my body will not twist like that. <laughs> so, but, but this is really... <laughs> the altar is saying we have to accept ourselves, my, my intellect, my emotions, my, my internal makeup. I don't have to accept my behavior. I may have impul impulses... I don't have to act on them. So I'm accepting myself, I'm not accepting my behavior. If I'm facilitating those thoughts, talking about them or performing them, so that's not something I, I should accept. But if I'm just getting the thoughts, I have to just accept that. I have to come to, I have to, come to terms with that. I'm not, I'm not internally perfect, I'm not a tzaddik, and that's totally fine. Let's take a look at what the Altenebra says. Question. Yes. Okay, so you can't prevent the pop-up from happening. You shouldn't feel ashamed of that. However, if you're in a moment of weakness, moment of delusion, you act upon it. Is that the time to feel shame? Or is that the time to say, or to, get, to, to act strong? Because if you, if you say, let's say you did, Let's say you did act on it or facilitate, facilitated it um, in your mind, you're saying? Right. I didn't reject it. You, d you didn't reject it, so you, you sinned. Um, but the but if you feel shame, you feel sadness, it puts your mind into a weaker, more susceptible place to continue down the wrong path. So what's the appropriate okay, feeling good. at that point? Good question. So the answer to that is what we discussed at the end of chapter 26. When is the appropriate time for guilt? What is the appropriate approach to guilt? Right, scheduling it at the right time, coming to it rather than it um, reactively, rather than reacting to it. Right. Well, that right. So that talked about like the event, the eventual action, and the eventual timing of the action to. So, so in other words, I, I so, but that's when I did something wrong. Right. So now, what's the appropriate? Should I shame? Okay. So the difference between shame and guilt, and this is what. I, I read this in a, a psychologist will say this, but it, I think Tanya is, is very consistent with this. Shame means I'm saddened, depressed, whatever you want to call it, about who I am. Guilt is about what I've done. 
Right? One's a more external. <clears throat> Shame is never appropriate. Okay. That's what about regret. So, so regret, guilt, all those different things, that's over behavior, not over myself. Right. Okay. That's appropriate. Yeah. Within the parameters discussed um, two lessons ago at the end of chapter 26. Scheduling it at the right time, coming to it rather than reacting to it. Yeah. So at, so at no moment should... At no moment should you acknowledge that it's because of who you are that you've done something. Rather, you acknowledge that you you acted inappropriately. It, that it, your actions were inappropriate. Exactly. Not that. Not you, that I'm a, not that I'm a bad person. Right. 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 It's I God created me with an evil inclination, with an impulsive being inside, and I'm going to. I could have controlled it. I didn't have to act on it. I didn't have to facilitate the thought. So regret is appropriate at the right time, at the right place, in the right way. But to to um, to feel shame over the fact that I'm getting these thoughts, that I'm getting these pop-ups, that I'm an, a deficient computer, that's not necessary. That's never appropriate. Unless I actually do have the potential to be a tzaddik. So then I'm short-selling myself. <laughs> right? Self-acceptance when you don't have to accept yourself. The reason why we self-accept ourselves is because this is the best I can be. I'm, cre- I'm doing what God created me to be. Right. Um, but if that's not what God created to be, if I could be better... You know, there, there's certain thoughts... The Rebbe writes in one of his teachings that... Not everybody's going to be a tzaddik, like the Altar ever says in Tanya. Not everybody could be a tzaddik. We all could be a tzaddik at certain moments in certain areas. Mm. Mm. So, for example, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you have no um, interest or urge to murder. And please don't tell me if I'm wrong. We're going <laughs> on now. Uh, <laughs> what? I, I, I had that urge a few times on my way from San Francisco. So. Right, traffic. We'll do that to you. <laughs> So in that area, you might be... In other words, are you a tzaddik in general? Have you totally got rid of your impulse? No. But do you have the urge to murder? No. Not at all. It doesn't even cross your mind. So in that area, you might be a tzaddik. So there's certain areas where we can be a tzaddik. There's certain areas where it's... No, I should not be accepting that. That is unacceptable. Even... For the thought to come up, let alone to actually perform it. And that's why the al says, very interesting, every word in the Tanya is very precise. Let's take a look at what he says, bottom of 3.11, the last bold paragraph. Therefore, no person should be, oh, we'll read the whole paragraph and then I'll show you the, that one word that makes all the difference, that, that, that uh, says it all. Therefore, no person should be downhearted, nor should you be too sad. Even if you spend all your days in this struggle, for perhaps it was for this purpose that you were created, to constantly subdue the sitra akhra, which is the klipa, the negative energy, through your worship, never to succeed in eliminating it for you. Our goal is not to win the battle, but to battle. But look what he says. The second line, nor should you be too sad. Doesn't say you shouldn't be sad. Don't be too sad. Maybe you could... <laughs> Maybe there's a part of you that really is not, um, it's really, it really is inappropriate, is unacceptable to be getting these thoughts. Maybe you won't be a full tzaddik, but maybe in that area you could be a tzaddik. Maybe you could work. So you shouldn't be sad. You shouldn't beat yourself up. We should have self-acceptance to a degree. There's a balance. Yeah. The key word is too. too Don't be too sad. Don't be too sad. That's the key. He says, perhaps this is the purpose we are created for. Perhaps. Maybe. (laughs) Maybe we are meant to win the battle. (laughs) But maybe not. We don't really know. But it's possible that we're not here to win battles. We're here to battle. The battle itself is valuable. There was once a Shiva student... It was actually, it's funny, I've always heard this story. It was only years later that I found out 
that who this happened to was my principal. Oh. <laughs> I heard I heard the story. There was once a yeshiva student, and then he tells the story in first person. Like, oh. So the Rosh Yeshiva? It was the it was the Rosh Yeshiva in Los Angeles. He was he is a he has a deep mind. He's an aggressive thinker. Very aggressive thinker. So he'll take a an idea in Talmud and just tear it apart. And what does Rashi say? And just tear that Rashi. Why does Rashi have to say it this way? Why couldn't what if Rashi didn't say it? Right on his commentary in the Talmud. If Rashi didn't say it, would I understand this Talmud the same way? Perhaps what's Rashi trying to tell me? And he'll start tearing apart the Rashi and saying how the other commentaries are there to compliment and he'll just dig, dig, dig. Very aggressive thinker, deep mind. But when he was a young student, he didn't feel that he came even to the toes of his his rabbis. You know, he's in his seventies now. And you know, as generations pro- progress, proceed, <laughs> he felt that he wasn't really near the toes of his students, and he was feeling down about himself. How this rabbi wrote this book with his commentaries, with his nuances and ideas, and this it says that I'm just relatively simple. <clears throat> and he was beating himself up. And he went and he shared his concern with the rabbi. And the rabbi told him, I don't really understand your concern. Because if you look in the Mishnah, it says, the reason why I was created was to serve my master. Your job is not to outdo other people. (laughs) Your job is to serve God with what he gives you, with the tools that he gives you. And if that's what he gave you, that's what you're going to serve him with. What's the problem? (laughs) Why are you feeling sad? That's just arrogance, right? It's <laughs> you're having unrealistic expectations. So sometimes we may feel sad, we feel shame. Why am I getting these pop-ups on my deficient computer? And the Al Tzareb is saying, just accept yourself. This is what God gave you to serve Him. This is your purpose. Some people have the purpose of defeating the battle. Some people have the purpose of battling it alone. That itself is valuable. You know, there's something very what I'm looking for. Um, gosh, I can't find the word. Uh, there, there's, there's something very... Uh, I'm not going to find the word. Um, I hate when that happens. Satan Hebrew. Yeah, I definitely won't find that word. <laughs> um, but um, it, gi- it gives you a sense like everything's, everything's going to be okay. Like, um, like Bliss? Well, no, but it's, it's like um, to know that Comfort, comfort. Thank you. Okay, yeah, it gives you a great sense of comfort. Comfort to know that, you know, I may not be good as A B C D E, but as long as I'm doing the best I can, and I'm, you know, serving Hashem, and you're doing your purpose, then, that's all I need to do. There's something very comforting in knowing, that you can let go of. I don't need to be better than Joe Schmo and all these other folks. I don't. I, I don't need to compete to with better. anything. Huh? He, I, I think you don't need to be better than anybody else. You shouldn't be comparing yourself to that rabbi and this rabbi and that rabbi. Comparing yourself you, to yourself. But you do want to progress. Oh, right. exactly. Personally, sure. And, and that's why he says, yeah. don't be yeah. too sad. Right, right, right. Because you don't want to be complacent either. Right, but there's a lot, a lot of be people. Should be a little bit of... A lot, a lot of people are caught up in this world, like, you know, with competing with against, you know, so, so-and-so for this position, or whatever it is, right? There's all this competition that's just there and if you know if you can get get to the point where like i don't need to worry about any of that i can grow myself and, and serve hashem and that's all i need um there's just a certain level of comfort in that it takes a lot of stress away exactly and and that's really the theme of these chapters what happens when we're relieved of that stress now i could serve god with joy because yeah. if we look back to the beginning of chapter 26, joy comes from three things. Three causes of joy. This is on uh, the bottom of page 296, the last bold paragraph. You will succeed only with enthusiasm. And he says, where does enthusiasm come from? Where does motivation come from? Which results, number one, from joy. Number two, a receptive heart. Number three, 
free of any worry, and free of, from any hint of worry, sadness in this world. And we're dealing with these three things in the reverse order. So now we're addressing, th th these past few chapters have been addressing how to be free of worry. It's free of worry from physical matters. We said everything is really good if we can really believe that. God is being intimate with us even when we, when we perceive negative situations. We said guilt. We learned how to navigate through guilt. Now we're learning how to navigate through shame and how to relieve ourselves so we can serve God with joy. Exactly. Exactly. That's what it's all about. And what is the purpose of this struggle? God wants to see a struggle. That sounds horrible. They say a um, they say a story. I don't know if it's true or if it's just a parable, but it brings out the point of a some sort of war prisoner, one of these communist war camps, and he's powering some sort of mill, either with his hands, his feet, attached to a wall, and he assumes that there's something on the other side of the wall. Either some some sort of hay situation or a water mill, or he's doing something big. Until he finds out that there's nothing on that other side of the wall, he was just moving for no reason, and he fainted. He passed out. He couldn't handle that. Very often we feel like we're trying to reject these pop-ups. <clears throat> but why? If I'm never going to succeed in reject in totally obliterate ab sorry. In eradicating them, getting rid of them. Obliterating? Eradicate's a better word. Yeah, eradicate. I'm never going to succeed in eradicating them. I'm never going to totally clear my computer of any viruses. I'm never going to be at Sadiq. God wants to see me fight and put all this... For what? Isn't it easier just to say, you know, okay, whatever. God gave me these challenges and, and, and I'm not going to accept it. I'll just go for it. It's easier. <laughs> What's the point in this struggle? What is the value of this struggle? You're, are you looking for an answer? I, oh, I have an answer, but I was I won't gonna. Okay, well, what's your answer? Well, I read ahead, so you read ahead. Okay, good, 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 good. So there are two. The yeah, Altadevus says there are two. Um, two things we accomplish with this struggle. Like the purpose of life is that. So the essentially, essentially he and he says perhaps this is your purpose. The struggles. This is like he said on the bottom of three eleven. Perhaps, for perhaps it was for this purpose that you were created. But that doesn't sound motivating in some ways. Well, I'm created think, to be a struggler. I don't want to be a struggler. But you know, I, rather, think, I, I think in this in this analogy, um, the other side of the wall. What you don't, what, what this person who's pushing this thing around doesn't know, right? That the, for him, there's nothing on the other side of the wall. For us, although we can't necessarily see it, the other side of the wall is really the. The, the enjoyment that Hashem gets when we struggle and we subdue the Sitra Akhra. Exactly. So knowing that there is That's something the on the other side of the wall, right. that itself makes the struggle worth it. There is something on the other side of that wall. Let's take a look at what he says on the, the, the second paragraph on 311. Actually... One second. We're going to go to the first bold paragraph, uh, or the middle bold paragraph on 310. And with each, you see it? With each and every dismissal of an inappropriate thought, which you succeed in dismissing from your mind, the negative forces of Sitra Akhra, the negative forces of Klipa, the negative energy that masks and hides God below in this world are subdued. Let's jump to 311, second paragraph. And as the Zohar in Parshas Truma, page 128a, enthuses about, enthuses, sorry, about the immense pleasure brought to God when the Sitra Akhra is subdued here below. When we subdue negative energy, it gives God pleasure. God enjoys that. And like he says on page 313, there's two types of pleasure. When... When Yaakov, sorry, when Yitzchak, our patriarch Isaac, told his son Yaesav to make him food, right? He wanted to bless Esav, 
Yaakov slipped in and stole the blessing. He tells Esav, make me delicacies that I enjoy. And the Zohar explains that, although on a literal level, it's Yitzchak talking to Esav, on a more spiritual Kabbalistic level, it's actually referring to God talking to the Jews. And God enjoys delicacies, plural, two types of delicacies. There are two types of services God enjoys. Sweet foods, foods that are naturally sweet, the service of a tzaddik, of that of somebody who total, has total inner perfection. And their service is perfect. And then there's the service of the Bainani, of the struggler. Of foods that are not naturally sweet, you have to spice them up properly to sweeten them. But otherwise they'd be bland, otherwise they'd be overly sharp. And you have to season them properly. It's not naturally perfect. And God enjoys both. He enjoys perfect service of the tzaddik. He enjoys imperfect service. He enjoys our imperfections. Hasidus refers to these two levels as... Where are we? Uh, page at top of 313. There's the idea of transforming... Bitter to sweet, darkness to light. And then, the second one is subduing. We might not be able to always transform the darkness, but we can at least subdue it. The difference between... That's going to do the recording. <laughs> What's the difference between transforming and subduing on a very practical level? Hold on, let me just make sure the recording is still going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, still going. Okay. okay, perfect. The difference between subduing and transforming on a very practical level. The difference between a tzaddik and a bainini, the difference between... The, the perfection that God appreciates and the struggle that God appreciates. A practical example. For us to study Torah, I'm just giving a, an example. To, for us to study Torah on a consistent basis, every morning, every evening, to have set times, might be a struggle. It might be something I have to force myself to do. I have to subdue my inclination that wants to do other things and push myself to do it. The tzaddik, or somebody who's a tzaddik maybe in this area, doesn't have to force himself to do it. He wants to do it. So his animal drive has been transformed. Right? A tzaddik's drive is, is driven towards, towards divinity, towards holiness. So the tzaddik wants to study Torah in his set times that he has. The bainini is going to sometimes have to push himself to do it. And subdue his inclination. Hmm. Now, which one is more perfect? Which one is picture perfect? The tzaddik. But God likes both. He likes the sweet foods. He likes the sharp foods that are seasoned, that take work. He likes the work in progress. It, you know, sometimes you, you want, if your kids can get straight A's, that's what you want to see. But if they can't, you, you appreciate their efforts. And that itself is, is something that, you, that can be very valuable. There was once a... Yeshiva boy, kind of, you know, the yeshiva system wasn't really for him, he drops out. But he still had a close relationship with his rabbi at the school, and they would study every evening, or once a week, whatever it was. One evening, boy came super late. He said, sorry, I was playing soccer. I had a soccer game, and I, the rabbi had his head, head in the clouds. He said, What's, what, is, what is soccer? <laughs> he says, what do you mean, what is soccer? It's a sports game. He says, how does it work? He says, well, there's two goals, two teams. Each team has to try to get the ball in the other person's goal. And the other team is trying to stop them from getting in their goal. And they try to get in their goal. And then every time you get in the goal, you get a point. So he says, what time is this game at? He says, 4 o'clock. He says, I have an idea. Come at 3 o'clock. Before the team shows up, you can make as many goals as you want. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you would make a lot of goals, but there would, it would be a pointless game. There would be no fun. Yeah, right? <laughs> if we were souls in heaven, if we never came to this world, didn't have struggles, we'd make a lot of points. We'd score a lot of points, theoretically. But for what purpose? What would it really accomplish? 
there's value in the struggle. You know, what's more valuable, a perfect picture or an imperfect painting? Which one sells for more? On eBay. <laughs> they both have their, their advantages. But when the, the Talmud says that when Moshe went to heaven to get the Torah for the Jewish people, to receive the Torah, the angels started complaining and said, God, why are you giving it to human beings? They're imperfect. Give it to angels. We're angels. We're angelic. We're... So God says, good point, Moses. Respond. So he says to them, well, our Torah says, uh, um, believe in one God. Do you guys have any... Are you challenged with idolatry? He said, no. Okay. And he went through the Ten Commandments. Okay, our Torah says not to bear false testimony. Is that something you plan on doing? <laughs> no. Our Torah says respect your mother and father. Is that something you... Is that someone you plan on disrespecting? No. He went through the Ten Commandments and basically said, Do you have an evil inclination? No. Well, this Torah is worthless to you. It's meaningless to you. The Torah goes to the Jewish people. To people on earth. Because there's value in the struggle. The fact that we have this inner impulse challenging us. The fact that we have a virus on our computer. That is giving us these constant pop-ups. We have the strength to subdue it. And the actual subjugation is valuable even if we're never going to get to the root of the problem. I like your analogy. I say l'chaim to that. L'chaim. <laughs> There's a but though. Yeah. But Sadiq doesn't have any of those challenges either. So what's his purpose? It's a good question. It's Sadiq... It's Sadiq does has his own challenges. For us, it's, you know, are we going to do good or bad? And Tzadik is, am I going to do good or better? Okay. <laughs> the the, the Al-Tanebi wrote a book. Tanya is referred to as the Book of the Bainini. Book of the... The Book of the Bainini. The Al-Tanebi wrote another book called the Book of the Tzadik. The Shpala Zayda. The Shpala Zayda was another Hasidic Rebbe, a contemporary of the Al-Tanebi. And he was not happy that the Al-Tanebi came out with the Book of the Tzadik. He said, the world is not ready for such a revelation. It's not something we can handle, and I recommend you deal with it. Did you what? Deal with it. Deal with it. Okay. I don't know what his exact words were. But it wasn't too long after that the, that the Altadeva's home caught on fire. Many of his manuscripts were burned, including his book of the Tzaddik. On that very same day, the Shvelazeva died. There is a book of the Tzaddik. And what the Tzaddik's job is, you'll have to ask them, but I don't know. <laughs> Because the book isn't here and I can't tell you. <laughs> Here, one second. I just want to get a tissue. Was the Alter Rebbe a Sadiq? Probably yeah. was. Right? I, yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess that <coughs> all the Rebbe's. All the Rebbe's. All the Rebbe's. Yeah, okay. Sadiq. Yeah. My question on, I asked Josh on Shabbat or the other day was, did... Did the Saudi king start out as Saudi king? Like when they were. Yeah. Were, were they, they all born, Saudis or were they, they born as Saudis? Yeah. Well, from everything that we learn here, it seems that 99 out of 100 case times that's a true statement. I mean. That they were born Saudi? They were born Saudi king. But how, how did. How did they become Saudi king? That's it, just the soul? It was... Well, that, uh, I don't know where it is in Tanya, but at, 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 at one of the four levels, they got off the elevator, their soul got off the elevator, and suddenly they they, they were given the the, the, the nefesh of a Tzadik. I mean, that goes back into like, you know, John was just saying, how, how is one born a Tzadik? Remember I asked you the other day? Right. When was that? I think on Shabbat I asked you. I'm all like, <laughs> um, generally, a person is not born a tzaddik. They're born with a potential. They have, uh, some people have the potential to be a tzaddik. Some people have the potential to have inner perfection. 
And some people, or everybody, has the potential for behavioral perfection, which is the vanity. Is that the same as in every generation, there's someone born with the potential to be the Mashiach? It's a little different because it's, it's not a choice. You can't decide. Is there decide. a choice to be a Sadiq? Well, that, that's our point, that you have that potential and you could choose. Hmm. If, if you work on yourself... If, a tzaddik means I have I achieved total perfection. You have situations, I, from what I understand, that people were born tzaddik. Generally, a tzaddik is not born a tzaddik necessarily. They're born with that potential to be a tzaddik. So re- refresh my memory on, I, I think it was previous we hit it like, um, when somebody's born, um, the nefesh comes down through four different states and Atsilus and I'm, I'm forgetting all of the yeah. names and, but the different um, worlds the soul the soul yeah yeah. <clears throat> the soul and, goes through different worlds as, as Kabbalah calls it different stages right and, yeah. and, and you know the Russia probably you know they got their nefesh from the last bus stop, the very last bus stop, and it was like ten subdivisions in each of these levels, right? Or, but I'm, but I thought that's like where the potential you're referring to is established. Well, the rasha means that his animal soul is challenging him, and he's listening. He's following its his impulses. Sure. Or maybe his animal soul is not even challenging him anymore. Maybe it's not even a challenge at this point. He's so desensitized, right? The default. But the so the animals, the divine soul that's coming down through these different stages. There's different levels of souls, but not, you could have a very holy divine soul, and you could still be a Russia, because you you don't internalize it, at least to the degree that you can control your behavior, which is what a bainini is. A bain, the difference. Between the tzaddik, the bainini, and the rasha, the tzaddik totally... So how do you know if you're a tzaddik? You put your timer on for 24 hours, right? And for the next 24 hours, do whatever you feel like. If after those 24 hours, you just learned Torah, you did mitzvahs, you did only holy things, you're probably a tzaddik. A tzaddik totally internalized the divine soul. The animal soul is either not present or there's different levels of a tzaddik where the animal soul is at least not relevant, even if it is present, but it's not relevant. So his impulses are going to be that of the divine soul. Impulses. His emotional, what he reacts to. The Bainanim doesn't have, has not internalized the divine soul to the same degree and has impulses from the animal soul. He just doesn't facilitate them in thought, speech, or action. The rasha is somebody that slips. Whether you know, there's different levels of rasha, it could be somebody very often, it could be less often, but somebody who not only has impulses, but actually behaves and acts on those impulses in thought, speech, or action. The difference between a bainini and a rasha, the bainini and the Rasha both have, are both impulsive. The Benini musters up the courage, the strength from the divine soul to be able to control at least his behavior. Um, the potential you're referring to though, um, would you say that somebody who is uh, a Russia, a Russia, um, was given the same potential to be a tzaddik as somebody who was born a Bainani? Because that's where I'm getting to, like, well, that's where these, these levels... You have free choice, right? You have free Everybody choice. Everybody has free choice. You're saying how much strength you have. Right. I guess the potential seems to be a, a matter of, like, how much strength you have to overcome the evil... Most and, the people don't evil. have the potential to be a tzaddik. Okay. And right. it's... Sure. And... Until we graduate from Tanya, <laughs> our, our goal is to, is to, be, to strive to become a Bainini, which is behavioral perfection. The Bainini and Arasha have a lot in common. The difference is one controls the behavior, one doesn't, but they're both as impulsive. And that's why it says, here's what it says. Um, we, so we, in chapter one, we ask the question, 
that Eov, Job, says, God, you've created wicked people, you've created righteous people. What does that mean? Aren't we saying that you're not created a tzaddik or a rasha? You get to choose? And the answer, which is basically essentially your question. You get like, to choose. Do you get to choose? Or no? So you do get to choose. So how did Eov, how did Job say, God, you created wicked people? And he answers that right here. Because I, I, the answer to your question is right here. The top of 312. It is about this idea of being born to struggle that Job said, you have created wicked people. I'm going to jump down to the next bold paragraph. This doesn't mean that God predestined some people to actually be a wicked, God forbid, because this would take away their free choice, but rather would befall them as though they acted wickedly in their thoughts and fantasies alone. Did God create us wicked? Did God create anybody wicked or righteous? No, you have free choice. But... You have free choice in terms of behavior, right? The difference between shame and guilt, who you are, what you do. Who you are, you can't choose. You could choose what you do. Make sense? Yeah, all, all that makes sense. Um, I, I, I think I'm not quite getting to the answer I was striving to. Maybe I just need to review the chapter so let me do that offline. But which, which is the chapter that talks about the four levels and and then and the divine soul coming through the levels? And, and I'm, I'm gonna I want I'd like to reread that. Maybe that'll help me and ask my question better. I think it's eighteen. Can you remind me after? I'll look it yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, I will. Yeah, I think it's eighteen. But remind me, and I'll, I'll look it up. Okay. Okay. So that's the first reason to struggle. Purpose in the struggle. Value of the struggle. Number one, it what's on the other side of that wall. God's pleasure. But number two, page 311, again that bold paragraph on the top, the second half of the paragraph. Or the truth is, we'll read from the beginning. As the Zohar and Parshas Truma, page 128, enth what's the word again? Enthuses. Enthuses. Enthuses about the immense pleasure brought to God when the Sitra Achra is subdued here below. Now he's right, number one, it causes God pleasure. Number two, then, as the Zohar says, the glory of the Blessed Holy One is exalted more than by any other praise, and this ascent is greater than all. So it has a big impact on revealing God. It has a big cosmic impact, big global impact. When we subdue the Sitra Akhar, when we subdue negativity, even if we can't transform it, just subduing it, Is a great ascent to God. The energy has a big impact, a, 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 a global impact. Let's take a look on our on our sheets here. We'll go out of order. We're Lucy, gonna do. Lucy is not feeling very well. Huh? Oh, she's ha she's been having a cold and teething and mm. yeah. The. Let's well, let's start with text two. Who'd like to read text two? On the Mishnah, John, go for it. Therefore, but a single person was created in the world to teach that if any man has caused a single life to perish from Israel, he is deemed by Scripture as if he had caused the whole world to perish. And anyone who s saves a single soul from Israel, he is deemed by Scripture as if he had saved the whole world. Okay, so person when God created. Creation, he created multitudes, many trees, many plants, many animals. When it came to man, he created one man. To teach us that if you, the value of one person is equated with the whole world. And if you save a person, you save the world. The reason why we, I'm, we, I bring this is just to communicate the idea that of the global impact that a person could have. One person is equal to the whole world. Was this concept around in biblical times or is this later in, in uh, Talmudic times where this concept came in? The concept was there, was recorded in, in it, Talmudic it, times. This sounds... It was, it was um, recorded on paper in, or mission, in the mission. But it had been... The concept has been there, yeah. This sounds familiar from uh, Perke Avos. From Perke Avos. Yeah. That, that, the, it's, that the world 
was created for you. There's one I forgot. The whole world, yeah, same same idea. A person has to say that the whole the whole world was created for them. The world was created for me. Because the but impact... That, that's not what this is saying. This is saying that if you do a good deed, you're saving the world. And if you do so, different... So, well, the, the idea is that the, the impact that one person can have on the whole world is is incredible. And the reason is a person is referred to as the small world. There's the large world, it's the small world, and those two worlds are correlated. Like it says in the Talmud, just like the soul fills the body, God fills the world. These two worlds are correlated. And what we do in our small world impacts our large world. Let's take a look at text one. Text one is from Tanya. Igeris HaTeshuvah, which is the third section of Tanya discussing the myth, discussing Teshuvah, how to do Teshuvah. And he says, it's from chapter 12, he says, The movement of a shadow on earth of a few inches equals the sun's movement in the heaven of thousands of miles. So when a shadow moves a couple of inches, in order for that to happen, the sun has to move thousands of miles. Infinitely more so is this true in the parallel, in the descent of the world's the most exalted heights until this physical world. We see the comment, the Zohar's comments on the subject of elevation of the higher worlds as a result of, initi of an initiative taken by man below. When we initiate something, when we subjugate negativity in this world, we can't imagine what we're accomplishing above. The impact that it's happening, that, that, that it's accomplishing and making this world a better place that it's having on this world. Just like when a shadow moves, you don't really notice that the sun has to move hundreds, thousands of miles. When we subdue that back then, I mean, you would have to be no astronomy to realize that. Yeah, and even back. The know. the Al was was um, very well versed in astronomy. So Maimonides has in his code of law a whole section on astronomy, which is because astronomy is very relevant in Judaism in halacha, in Jewish law, because there's calculating the new month for Rosh Chodesh and the moon and and all the different things that require uh, calculation. So Maimonides has a whole section. Hmm. When I reach that part of Maimonides, I'll be honest, it's more like uh, it's more like prayer for me. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, I'm, I'm not a mathematical person and it's very difficult. When the Al-Tarebbe was 12 years old, he was 12 years old, he was giving a class on that section of Maimonides on astronomy to a group of senior rabbis and it says that they, they couldn't find their mouth, their, their jaws dropped. 12-year-old lecturing on, on the laws relevant to astronomy from Maimonides was unheard of. I, re I read that the Rebbe learned to calculate when solar eclipses would occur. He, he Interesting. Was also, uh, astronomy. The, the, the Rebbe, the recent Rebbe. Yeah. Yeah, well, he had a degree in... Engineering and right. higher mathematics and well, this is before he was in uh, oh yeah younger age. Interesting, interesting. But, but this this text also reminds me of something I read recently in Hayom Yom about. Uh, it said, "If only you knew that the Rebbe, previous Rebbe, had said, if only you knew the power of reading Tehillim in the higher planes." Right. Yeah. Same same ideas. If it's something small down here, it's not really that small. Is a lot bigger. It's a lot more valuable. Hmm. Now think about that. Next time we have an impulsive thought, next time we have a pop-up that's inappropriate. Ten minutes from, from now, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but if we think about, if we could be intentional, and just think about, wait a minute. If I don't facilitate this idea, definitely not behaviorally, verbally, mm -hmm. neither. I can have such, besides causing, giving God pleasure, the impact that this will have on the world and making this world a godly place will be incredible. That should give us some sort of encouragement, some sort of strength to at least be, to be able to subdue the negativity, some sort of motivation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Knowing the impact of our deeds, knowing that there's something on that other side of the wall that's taking place. And actually, because we've learned about it, and it's not just assuming. Now we, we know. L'chaim. L'chaim. <laughs> That's a crack a new one open for that one. Oh, yeah.
Get a cold one. This this concept of um, that if you save a person, you save the world, and if you hurt a person, you hurt the world or destroy the world or whatever. This I mean that. So one person is a has it a global impact. Yeah, I mean that that's from I, I get that from what you taught your class the um, history of Judaism. You know, it's interesting that, that human. That, that that wasn't a concept that humans were valuable before. That's really a Jewish concept that humans right. are valuable. Except for the the uh, pharaohs and things like that who were thought they were very valuable. The, right. the, the common person was not valuable. Yeah. That's a Jewish concept, value of humans. That, that particular concept has made its way into modern society meaning like you you see that that same concept described in different ways in very contemporary settings now so that was truly a gift to the world from judaism mm. you know that that concept yeah And just in our context the gift would be not just the value of human life but the impact that a human could have right. on life and on the world Subduing one thought that doesn't belong there by not facilitating it behaviorally, verbally, or, or intellectually, the impact that that has, is, it, it's overwhelming to think about that. Like, how could I, <laughs> if we had that in mind at the time, now obviously that's hard, but the more we learn, the more we study, the more this will be on the front of our minds, you know, not just on the back. You know, and, and the more uh, my my um, my feeling of accomplishment is how fast can I get rid of that thought? Because well, I can get a bad thought and I can stew on it for five minutes, or I can't stop the bad thought from coming in, right? But if I can get rid of it almost immediately, that's a victory, as opposed to thinking about yeah. it and feeling bad about it for. For several minutes, exactly. And then, then getting rid of it. You know, I I think the Rebbe's approach would be to replace it. Replace it with something else, replace with something it. positive. It's hard to say. Don't think about right this negative thought. Okay, but <laughs> the more I'm focused about not thinking about it, the more I'm, I'm going to think about it. it. Right. But what if I can get rid of it in ten seconds instead of two minutes? So, right. so if you were to immediately think about what you studied in Tanya. Or what you studied in the Torah, fortunately. You replaced it with something good. Mm -hmm. And that's the idea of light. Displacing darkness. Exactly. That's part of the... Where I'm not just focused on brushing out the darkness. I'm subduing the negativity with positivity. It's part of building up the muscle of your soul. You exactly. Know, your soul's muscles. I like that. How fast can we push it out? Muscle shoals. There we go. What? <laughs> that just it's like our spiritual workout. Yeah. We have to create a. This is our gym and our weekly Cellular training. Cellular push ups. Cellular push ups. That's funny. Now, none of this could happen. In other words, it's hard to feel the motivation that there's something behind that wall if I don't feel. If I'm feeling bad about myself for getting these pop ups. Right, like we said earlier, if I don't come to self, have self acceptance to realize that I, this is just the way God created me. He put viruses in me, He put this animals in me, and there's going to be pop ups. It's just going to happen. Coming to terms with that requires it's basically humility. That's basically a divine soul trait. <laughs> In other words, if I could make this paradigm shift from animal soul to divine soul, from that perspective, from living life, from an impulsive, reactive perspective to a divine, intentional, you know, from being self-oriented to the mission-oriented, other-oriented, if I could make that paradigm shift, which the Alta Rebbe says in chapter 32 is the whole purpose of Judaism to make that shift. Because the whole purpose of Judaism boils down to love your fellow. If I can make that shift, I can love my fellow, right? 
because all I see is another soul, not another body. If I can make that shift, to make that shift, sorry, requires humility. Let's take a look back on 308, the bottom of 308. Where does sadness from inappropriate thoughts come from? All the way on the bottom. On the contrary, sadness from inappropriate thoughts come from an inflated ego. The animal soul. So is that like shame? Shame. If I'm experiencing shame because I'm not good enough, that's arrogant. That's the animal soul. The godly soul can afford the vulnerability to accept its mission in life. That its mission is to serve God with what God gave it. How, how sadness different from regret? Regret is over something you've done. You mean it became more than just a thought but an action? So, so I, yeah, I did something I shouldn't have, now I regret it. He's talking about sadness over thoughts that are coming to me. It's not something I've done. Hmm. And I'm still feeling bad about it. If I'm feeling bad about it, it's because I have unrealistic expectations about myself. I can't afford the vulnerability to realize that God created me less than perfect and that's fine. I can still, I could accept, I don't have to accept my behavior, but I could still accept myself. It's the fact that I'm, the fact that I'm not perfect. Like at Zadik. That That's the power of vulnerability. The divine soul could afford that vulnerability. The animal soul doesn't have that vulnerability. The animal soul is arrogant. And this has always been the approach in Judaism was was to, to, to be a little bit vulnerable, not necessarily to other people and not necessarily to, you know, like a priest to confess all your sins to everybody. That's not the point, but to be vulnerable to ourselves and to be able to be honest with ourselves, to admit that I'm less than perfect. God created me with an animal soul. I'm never going to be a tzaddik or at least not right now. And I'm going to serve God with what He gave me. Let's take a look at our last text here, text 3, from the Midrash. We'd like to read. I'm, I'm, these are off-the-shelf glasses, and I just can't see very well. I'll, I'll, I'll read it. Okay. Uh, do not say, I cannot tolerate wearing shotsness, a biblically forbidden mixture of linen and wool. I find swine meat repulsive. I have no desire for illicit sexual relations. Rather say, I can and would, but what shall I do? God has instructed me not to. So being vulnerable and saying, yeah, I'm not perfect. I want to sin. I have the urge to sin. I'm not a tzaddik. A tzaddik doesn't even have the urge to sin. Right? Don't fool ourselves. Because that's an animal thing, soul thing to do, to pretend to be perfect. To not be able to be vulnerable with ourselves. I can. I would. I'm not going to. That causes God, gives God a lot of pleasure. It makes this world a better place. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Alright. <clears throat> Wouldn't expect any less from you. <laughs>